And that's actually how it happened. If you have your Bible, go over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be turning a lot today, using a lot of scripture today, so um, we can all try to keep up if you want, or just so you know, if you want to write them down, if that's easier, you can look them up later, unless you want to have like a competition. I'm totally game for that. How many of you guys, if you grew up in church, maybe you went to like church camp or something, and you had like sword drills, Bible drills, anybody do that? We would sit down and, you know, turn it, whoever got it first would stand up and, oh, pick me, pick me, I got it. And you'd read it and, yep. But I'm already standing, so. <laughs> Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus is instructing his disciples how to pray. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think this is interesting because the context of this conversation, Jesus was being asked, how to pray. The disciples wanted to know because obviously they saw something in Jesus' prayer life that they wanted to emulate. And here these guys are Jewish guys growing up knowing how to pray, but yet they're asking Jesus how to pray. And I find this interesting. So they saw something that they wanted to emulate. They saw something in the way that Jesus prayed that maybe was different than other things that they had learned or seen before. And they wanted to know how to do this. And Jesus hones in during his teaching on prayer to talk about forgiveness. He makes it a big deal. Even after he's done teaching them how to pray, he gives a little mini-sermon, again reiterating the idea of forgiveness as soon as he teaches them how to pray. So apparently Jesus was serious about forgiveness and us understanding the importance of forgiveness because Jesus himself said that if you are praying and you have something against someone, it's actually going to hinder your prayers. And Jesus made that very clear here. He said, make sure that you are forgiving those who are indebted to you. And make sure that you do that so your heart is positioned in a way that God actually can hear your prayers. But what type of situation deserves forgiveness? What type of person deserves forgiveness? Is it the person who is really, really sorry like, you can tell, like, they're really sorry, like, they mean it this time. I'm really, really sorry. And because you're really, really sorry and you mean it and you're sincere, that's the person who deserves forgiveness. Or is the person who deserves forgiveness the person who, you know, maybe they say it nicely. I mean, really nicely, you know, with sugar on top. Will you please forgive me? Is that who deserves forgiveness? What if this person has done something really, really terrible to you? Do they deserve forgiveness? What if they've done something so terrible that it sickens you? Does that person deserve forgiveness? What if they hurt someone you truly love? Do they deserve forgiveness? You see, that's a harder question because we think of forgiveness in our terms and we think of justice in our terms. So therefore, we look at it through a lens of relativity that we think that it's based on our, our merit, our behavior, and other people get something based on their merit and their behavior. And if they hurt us, we want to see them pay. 
If they hurt someone we love or do something that sickens us, we want to see them pay. We call that justice, and we want to see that. But then if we're the one who are committing something, we, we think that we deserve forgiveness. You know, not us when we do wrong, them when they do wrong. So who deserves forgiveness in this situation? Truly, no one deserves forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that we deserve because forgiveness is a gift. And I'm going to go ahead and start off with my BCC big idea. Forgiveness is a gift. That doesn't mean my sermon's almost over. I'm just getting going. But forgiveness is a gift. Think about a gift. A gift is something that someone did nothing to deserve, nothing to earn. It was something that was given because of love. That's the motive behind a gift. It's not, you have to pay me back for this because then it, all of a sudden it doesn't become a gift. That would be like a terrible Christmas, right? All the kids open the presents and like, okay, now you guys have to pay me back for all this stuff. So, like, that would be awful. Like, they're like, I don't want the gift then because it's put me in this debt that I didn't want to be in. No, when you and I work a job and we get compensated for that job, we're being reimbursed for our time. We're being paid back for the time that we've given our employer. It's an exchange. I have given you something, therefore you give me something back. And that is called a wage. That is not like a gift. A wage is something that I've earned. A wage is something that I feel entitled to because of what I've contributed. And Scripture makes it very clear what you and I have contributed to and what we deserve because of what we've contributed to. Scripture says that the wages or the earnings of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. That means every one of us we all have sin. The good person who does all the nice things and super charitable and seems to always be in a happy-go-lucky mood, that person has sinned. Because Scripture says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And I've studied the Greek translation of that, and the word all in Greek translates to mean all. And because of that, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone then ultimately, if they have sinned, the wages, what we deserve, according to Scripture, is death. But that's not the end of the story. Because Scripture says, but the gift of God, the gift of God, not the wages, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So therefore, I'm getting something I didn't deserve. That's called grace. I'm getting something I didn't earn. I'm getting something that actually benefits me rather than something that punishes me. So where did all my punishment go? Because God just can't make all my punishment just go away. Then he wouldn't be just because sin has to be punished. That's where Jesus steps in. Jesus stepped into history and took the punishment for the sin that you and I committed, both past and present and future. Jesus took the penalty for that by taking that punishment upon himself, the one who had never sinned, who didn't deserve it, who should not have received that punishment based on what he did. Instead, he willingly takes the punishment that you and I deserve so that by trusting in that to satisfy the payment for our sin, we can trust in what Christ has done and be forgiven. Folks, that is the greatest gift you will ever receive, and you did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing to earn it. It's not based off of what I get. I receive it as a gift. Grace is us getting what we did not deserve. And so we look at Jonah, and we've been using his 
as an example as we've been going verse by verse through his story. And last week we learned a lot about Jonah and the setup of this story. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah hates Nineveh because Nineveh has been persecuting his people for hundreds of years. These Assyrians are awful people and Nineveh is the capital of it and they're the worst of the worst. And the, the horror stories that were told about how they would persecute and how they would torture and how they would just make life miserable for the people of God. And God calls Jonah to go speak a word to them, a five-word sermon. He just is called to go and take five words to these people in Hebrew, five words. But Jonah knows that in obeying God and in speaking these five words, it doesn't guarantee their repentance, but there's a chance they might repent if they hear these five words. And because there's a chance that these people might repent, Jonah also knows that there's a chance that God might not destroy them and give them what they deserve in Jonah's mind. And so Jonah wants to make sure they don't even have a chance to repent, so he's not going to go and speak these five words God has told him to go speak to these people. Why? Because Jonah thinks they don't deserve it. But yet we see how God delivers Jonah and how Jonah is receiving and being a benefactor of the grace of God. We see how Jonah is receiving and being a benefactor of, of God delivering him time and time again. And Jonah certainly doesn't deserve it. And God's saying, now, take this same message to these people who don't deserve it. We see how God, under the reign of the evil king Jeroboam II, he, he gives them a victory as to where they deserved defeat. And then we see how Jonah, trying to run away from God, being on a boat with at least 33 other men, 32 rowers and one captain, at least on that ship, plus Jonah, 34 people on this boat in total. And here, all of these people, when the storm arises, because God causes this storm to arise, and these guys were freaking out. And let me tell you, if you're a professional sailor and a storm freaks you out, it's a bad storm, right? Because these guys know storms, and if they're like sailing with a newbie, and there's like the boat rocks a little bit, they're like, oh no, and they're like, Psh, that guy's a total noob, you know, like he doesn't understand, that's not even a real storm. I've seen real storms, let me tell you about the storm of 03, you know, let me tell you about the derecho we went through, and Emily, he's like, he'll tell you about a storm if you want to know a storm, right? And now these sailors are all freaking out because there was a big storm, and you know it's bad. Because they're all afraid. And the scripture says they all started praying to their own gods. And they were trying them all. Like they were like doing the God lottery. Like let's figure out which one works. Let's figure out which one's mad so we don't die. And they're all praying to different ones. And they're like, I, I don't know any more gods to pray to. And then somebody shouts out, what about the guy that's in the bottom of the boat? What about the passenger? Oh, yeah, let's go get him. He's asleep. Hey, they wake him up and they say, what are you doing asleep? There's a storm. You need to pray to your God. And he's like, oh, oh okay, oh, oh uh, what's going on? And they're like, you need to try your God. <laughs> And they weren't admitting that Jonah's God was the God that, that, that was indeed the one who could stop this, but they were just trying all of them. And all these pagan guys trying all these different things. And Jonah says, it's me, guys. Toss me overboard. And they threw him overboard. And then the next thing you know, the seas stopped their raging, and it was peaceful and quiet. And all of those sailors who were praying to all those pagan gods made vows to the one true God and began to make sacrifices right there in that moment. And I think I would too because you just saw God deliver you. So once again, Jonah sees the mercy of God in action because even in 
the face of these other men praying to pagan gods, God saves and spares their life, and he sees the mercy of God at work in these other sailors. And then God shows Jonah mercy one more time because Jonah thinks he's found a way out and he's just going to die in this storm. And then God causes a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And now Jonah, once again, maybe night one in the belly of the great fish, Jonah's thinking, I'm going to turn, you know, into some sort of mush being inside of this, inside this great fish. And then he makes it through another day. He's like, oh, it's another day. How did he know it was another day? I don't know. But he was in there another day. I mean, and he's like, I'm still here. And then day three, and Jonah's like, I'm still here. And he's going, oh, wait a minute. This is the mercy of God. I thought this was my end, but this is the mercy of God. So over in Jonah, chapter 2, if you turn over there with me, we're going to read when Jonah realizes he is being now once again a recipient of the grace of God. Not getting what he deserved, but instead getting God's mercy. Jonah chapter 2. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Stop right there. He references this place called Sheol, and we see this referenced in various parts in Scripture. And they believed that this was the place of the dead. And they believed there were gates there to this place of the dead. And this is where the dead um, were. It was like a holding place is what they believed. And so he's saying, I was like near death. This is what Jonah's trying to communicate. I was like as close as I could get to death. Like I'm, I'm there. Like I know this is the end for me. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. What an optimistic guy. Here he's saying, I recognize I'm in the belly of Sheol. I'm, I'm, this is death, man. I'm, it's over for me. I'm about, to, I'm about to die. But then he says, but I know I'm going to look upon your holy temple. I know I was driven away from your sight. And the fact that he admits, I know I was driven away from your sight, this begins the process of his repentance, his reluctant repentance, that he now recognizes that he's saying, I was driven away from your sight, but I know I'm going to see your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take up my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains, and I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up, uh, you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's mentioning these sailors now in his prayer. Even those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then this great truth in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah upon the land. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's, that's a great scripture to think about. Um, but here we see that at the end of this prayer, God sees Jonah now has repented. Jonah has transitioned from 
being rebellious and disobedient to now recognizing I'm, I'm not going to get out of this. And wouldn't you and I think if we were God, which by the way, none of us are, um, wouldn't you think if you were God, it would be easier to just find somebody else? I don't know about you, but I would like, I would like be checking the bench of like prophets, right? <laughs> who, who, next man up, right? <laughs> who we got, you know, on the roster, you know? Um, let's see who else is ready to obey. And maybe someone who's not quite as bitter as Jonah. Maybe someone who's not quite as angry as Jonah. Maybe someone who's not as hard-hearted as Jonah or hard-headed as Jonah, right? You think God would have went like, all right, I'm, I'm going to, find somebody else to do this because God keeps delivering Jonah over and over again. God keeps giving Jonah chance after chance again because he's showing his great mercy and God is showing his mercy for his glory. You need to catch this. God is for God and God is doing these things for his glory and Jonah gets to benefit from it. God is saying, I am going to be glorified by showing you how rich in mercy I am. Because he's about to show mercy to people who definitely don't deserve it. And he's trying to also help Jonah see, hey, buddy, you almost died. Hey, buddy, all those other people almost died. They were praying to all these false gods. I still delivered them. I even used their ca the casting of lots system to help uh, identify that it was you. And even when they threw, it over, uh, threw you over the boat, I used a great fish. And then when you finally came to your senses... Uh, I, I took care of that as well because could you imagine he's prayed he's like I don't know how God's going to get me out of this like he wasn't thinking that this is how it's all going to play out he didn't know how God was going to get him out of it but he was confident he said I know that I'll I'll, I'll see your holy temple I know my eyes are going to look on your holy temple again I, I know that you are the God who can deliver me I've seen you do it so he's confident both in what God has done in his life and in those other sailors lives and how God has given them his mercy how God has shown them his grace and what they did not deserve. It would have been easier for God to just start over, but instead God gave Jonah a new start. And folks, don't you think that it would have been easier for God to just start over with all of us? I mean, every one of us, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all look back on our lives and we say, well, I don't know how God could ever use somebody like me. We all look back and see our limitations, see our failures, see our mistakes, see our shortcomings, see the things that we haven't done, things we could have done, should have done, should have been better at, I mean, should have been more disciplined in, should have, you know, tried harder, all these things that we look and measure ourselves against. And God hasn't given up on us. God hasn't just started over. God said, no, I'm going to instead give them a new start. And that's what God does. That's the character and nature of our God, is that God gives those who will trust in him a new start. And God is giving Jonah that new start. So I want to talk about the character of God by going through a few scriptures that I think will help you. I believe that God's going to use this next portion of our time together to maybe, to maybe minister to somebody who's been wrestling with some of these concepts and ideas of forgiveness. And maybe not even in forgiving others, maybe even forgiving yourself and understanding the nature of God and seeing how rich he is in mercy. So let these words of scripture speak to that hurt, speak to that pain, speak to that distorted view of God that perhaps you've had and may you see God in a new light through his word today. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. He says, though your sins are scarlet, he says, I'm going to make them white as snow. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Isn't that interesting? And I will not remember your sins. What? He says, I will blot out your transgressions for my name's sake, for my own sake. God is doing this for his glory. God is blotting out those transgressions. What is a transgression? It's something you did that you knew what you were doing, fully aware that you knew that it was wrong, but you violated what you knew. You violated your conscience. You violated the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You violated the word of God, and you knew very well what you were doing. You transgressed on purpose. It wasn't like, whoops. It was like, nope, I know what I'm doing. And God says, I'll blot those things out. Wow, we don't deserve that, do we? No. And then he says, not only will I blot it out, but he says, I won't remember it anymore. Somebody needs to hear that and find freedom in that. Because so often we remember the things of our past and those things act as weights that hold us down and keep us from moving forward. Some of us need to hear that because we need to let go of some things that we've been holding over other people's heads for too long. And God is showing us his character that when he blots out a transgression, even something that was a well-known violation, he says, I don't remember it anymore once I blotted it out. I've forgotten it. Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. And no longer shall each one... um, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Go over to Daniel, if you're trying to keep up here. Daniel chapter 9. and verse 9, Daniel's prayer here. He says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have all rebelled against him. He says... Mercy and forgiveness belong to the Lord, and he's showing it to us, even though we have rebelled against him. What amazing and awesome and glorious promise. Go over to Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love, he will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? God says he's going to take our iniquities and trample them under his feet. And he delights in this, like God wants to do this. Because we think like there's like a limit on God, like he's so sick of me praying to him for the same old stuff. We think God's tired of seeing me make the same old mistakes, like you figure I would get better and calmer in traffic after, you know, all these years of driving or 
you know, all these different things that we, we, we run from or the things that are unhealthy that we run to. And you think that God would just want to use somebody else and he wouldn't want anything to do with me. But here we see the character and nature of God once again in his word. He actually delights in trampling your iniquity under his foot. And it says that he's, he's his steadfast love and he's going to have compassion again. And he doesn't retain his anger forever. Isn't that a good promise? Some of you feel like God is just angry with you all the time. Scripture says he doesn't retain his anger forever, but he's delighting to show his compassion to you. Wow. One more text, Matthew 22. That one's a little easier to find than Micah. <laughs> Matthew 22. Verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't this interesting? What if Jesus was serious? When he was teaching his disciples how to pray, and he told them how important forgiveness was, that we forgive and ask for forgiveness, and these two are connected and here we see jesus answering the question of what is the greatest commandment he said love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and then the second he said is like it it's love your neighbor as yourself so if i'm loving my neighbor as myself i don't know about you but myself wants forgiveness and mercy and grace uh, does yourself want mercy and forgiveness and grace i know myself wants mercy and forgiveness and grace and I want to freely receive it. And when I hear those scriptures, I think immediately about the things that I have done and how God has forgotten them. He's thrown them into the sea. And I think about how big God's forgiveness and how big his love must be. And I immediately begin to think about myself. But my question to us today is, do we desire the gift of God's grace for others as much as we do ourselves? Because we all want it for ourselves. And when you're hearing those scriptures read, I know a lot of us are thinking about ourselves. But do we desire the same for our enemies? If you want to really look at the overarching context of Jonah, he's really talking about his national enemies. He's talking about the nation of Israel dealing with this group of people that have been terrorizing them. Do we want forgiveness for our nation's enemies, those that we would designate and call our enemies, those who have made life for Americans difficult, those who have killed American soldiers, those who have done great atrocities all over this world that we've been trying to fight or protect certain interests or whatever the case may be, and they keep just plotting evil and committing acts of evil, do we want mercy and forgiveness for them? Do we desire that at the same level that we desire it for ourselves? Because that's the question Jonah's being faced with. Do you want me to show mercy and forgiveness to this group of people? Or was it just for you, Jonah? Because the fish was, yes, Jonah's deliverance, but it was also Nineveh's deliverance. It saved Jonah's life, but it also saved a lot of people in the city of Nineveh as well. See, that fish was more than just for Jonah. Oftentimes, we just think the fish was for us. 
because that's all we think about. That's all we focus on. I got my life right, got my stuff done. I'm, I'm saying yes to, to the Lord and I'm doing the thing he wants me to do. Yeah, a- amen. But what if God has a bigger plan than it just being about you? Because God is doing this for his glory and his glory is a lot bigger than just you or me. He's doing this to save an entire group of people and he's wanting to use Jonah's five-word sermon. And you would have th- thought it'd be easier just to do it with somebody else. But God is showing how big his mercy is to Jonah so Jonah can understand this. And I could imagine when Jonah gets up after getting out of the belly of that fish. I mean, we saw it illustrated just moments ago, um, which was an accurate illustration of how all that went. Um, I'm sure after a good shower that Jonah's first step in the direction of Nineveh was probably very difficult. Could you imagine Jonah's first step towards Nineveh? You get cleaned up, you get straightened up, you're ready to go. All right, I'm out of the fish. And he thinks, was the fish really that bad? Like, you know, like, I wonder if he's still waiting in the bay, you know, like, and then he goes, nope, that was awful. I, I, nope. And he knows like that first step. And it's the same thing after God has forgiven us and we experience the forgiveness of God and we experience the grace of God for ourselves. And then God wants us to go and to take that next step of obedience and do that last thing he called us to do that we refused to do and we stayed anchored in bitterness and we decided to get stubborn in all of our hurt and all of our offense and all of our woundedness and all of our tiredness and exhaustion and we begin to justify and rationalize why we're stuck here and how it's not right and then God shows us the error of that and we repent of it and then he wants us to go do something and take a step in the right direction and that may be having a conversation with someone that we haven't talked to in a while that may be making a phone call we don't want to make that may be stepping into something that we're last time we were involved in that it, we, we we got tired we got beat up we were bruised and and we're scared of a repeat we're afraid of the second chapter of that and, and God's still calling us to it because just because you got out of the fish Jonah doesn't mean Nineveh's still not where you're supposed to go you're still called to go to Nineveh you had a bump in the road and God showed you his mercy and now you got to take a step and and it's easier to stay a victim it's easier to stay stuck It's easier to think it's someone else's responsibility, but God didn't call someone else. God called you. God could have gifted someone else, but God didn't gift them. He gifted you. God isn't speaking to someone else right now because if you're thinking about someone else who needs to be here to hear this message, it's you. You're the someone else. So stop thinking about your spouse or your ex-spouse. Stop thinking about your employer. Stop thinking about another pastor or stop thinking about uh, some childhood friend or a sibling, but begin thinking, what is God trying to do in me right now? Because if your eyes are being opened and God is beginning to work in you and you're ready to be obedient and say, yes, Lord, and repent, what's the next step for you? For you, that's a hard step, man. I mean, that's just the reality of it. It sounds great. Oh, you have forgive because you've been forgiven. Do, 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 do. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> like it sounds all nice and it sounds easy, but it's not easy. But 
and there may be a lot of layers to it. And I get it. And I get all the reasons and I get all the stuff that you want to make excuses for why, why it wasn't right. And I'm not saying that it was right. I'm not saying everything was okay. I'm not saying that, that, that the other person wasn't wrong for what they did. But you can't allow yourself to be trapped as a slave to that anymore. You can't self-select slavery when God's calling you to move forward. God's not calling you to be stuck, amen? God's calling you to be obedient, to take a step. And man, you're taking a step towards Nineveh. And you don't like Nineveh. You don't want to deal with Nineveh. But you know God's calling you to it. And you know he's going to gift you to do it. And you know he's going to work through you. And it's going to be for his glory. And he's wanting you to trust him to take the step. He's wanting you to trust him. So do we desire God's grace for others as much as we do ourselves? Take the next step towards obedience as a faith step that gives grace to other people. That's a faith step, man, and that first step can be huge. Let's look over at Matthew 18, just a few pages back. Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22. Don't you love Peter here because he's got a great question. He wants to know how many times do I have to forgive someone because it's not fair, right? <laughs> then Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I'm thinking seven. Good biblical number, right? He's trying to be super spiritual, really impress Jesus, because like seven, I know how much you like seven, Lord. <laughs> so seven's good, right? Because if that joker does that eight times, mm-mm, it's over. You done messed up on number eight. And then I can be justified in my behavior and my attitude and my action. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. He's saying Infinity. He's saying there's no limit because Peter started counting and Jesus knew Peter couldn't count that high. So <laughs> how much and how often we give the grace of God to others should be how much and how often we want to receive that same gift. So ask yourself that question. How much and how often do I want to be a recipient of the grace of God? How much and how often do I want to be able to have my sins forgiven and forgotten. I don't know about you, but mm, every time. <laughs> then that's how much we're supposed to give that. And God keeps bailing Jonah out time and time again. God bails the pagan sailors out that were praying to all these other gods. God bailed the nation of Israel out when they didn't deserve it because their king was wicked and the people were wicked and they weren't doing what pleased the Lord, but God still gave them a military victory under the reign of Jeroboam II. And Jonah's witnessing all of these acts of mercy. And now it's his turn to not just be on the receiving end, but now he's supposed to be on the giving end, and he doesn't like being on the giving end. It's much more fun to be on the receiving end of mercy when you're thinking about yourself. But when God changes your heart and he begins to influence your heart and your desires, then all of a sudden, you begin to actually delight in what God delights in. Then you begin to delight in showing mercy because you kind of get good at it. But you got to start somewhere. And you got to start taking a step towards Nineveh because it's hard and it's difficult. And you know it's going to be hard and difficult to sit down and have that conversation. Or you know it's going to be difficult to make that phone call. You know it's going to be difficult maybe even to allow those things from the past to truly become the past so you can move forward. Stop beating yourself up over it and stop holding other people 
captive over that in your own mind, thinking it's somehow giving you, you an edge or an advantage or power. Or Stop giving life to it by speaking to it and gossiping about those people. Stop giving life to it by, man, it seems like sometimes that fire is just about to die, die down and then you get excited about something or something triggers something and you get upset all over again and you throw another log on that fire and pour gasoline all over it and that thing's just blazing. And it's like it happened yesterday and it was 10 years ago. We've, we've got to find that healing because God wants us to be healed and set free, amen? Do you believe that? Do you really believe God wants you healed and set free from the past, from the wounds of the past? Yes. Do you believe God wants you to walk in forgiveness? Forgiveness is a two-sided coin. It's not just one-sided and all about you receiving. It's about you receiving and giving. Freely you've received, so freely you give. Man, that's a hard truth to live out because it takes faith. And it takes me going, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So I'm going to submit to you and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to humble myself under your mighty hand. And I'm going to take a step towards Nineveh. you got to take a step. And, 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 and you got to start saying yes to those things that God told you to do before you were in the mess you got in. Before you got stuck, before you got tired, before you got worn out, before you got wounded. What was the last thing God told you to do? What was the last thing you found joy in doing? What was the last thing that God had gifted you to do and provided opportunity for you to do? I guarantee you that that calling that he's put on the inside of you, that gifting that he's put on the inside of you, I guarantee you it's still there. You've just got to be able to take a step. You've got to repent and you've got to obey. Repenting doesn't mean just saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Repenting means turning away. I'm turning away from that thing. I'm turning away from that sin of bitterness and malice and gossip. And I'm turning away from that thing that I still have given life to that God wants me to be free from. Because it's a trap, it's a snare. And I don't want to be stuck anymore. I want to move forward. So what if Jesus was serious when he said that we need to forgive those as just as much as we are forgiven? I believe that he was and he is serious about that. So the next step, church, in your journey of healing is obedience. So obey the last thing God told you to do before you got stuck, before you got wore down and tired, before you got offended, before you got disappointed. God is still calling you to take that next step. And it's time for us to live out forgiveness and trust that Jesus was indeed serious when he told us to forgive. Because remember our big idea, forgiveness is a gift. So, Lord, we ask you to help us to live this out. Help this to become more than just something we know in our minds. And as people are sitting in this teaching today and hearing your word being taught, if there's something that we need to take a step of faith in, I pray that you would reveal it to us. If there's something we need to ask your forgiveness for or something we need to ask another's forgiveness for, Reveal that to us, God, even in this moment. Help us have the courage to take that step. If there's something we've been disengaged in that you want us to step towards, help us to re-engage. Whatever it may be, God, you, you still called us. You, you still gifted us. And Lord, if there's something that, God, we've been avoiding, if there's people we've been avoiding, Lord, help us to forgive. Help us to pursue unity. Help us to pursue love. Help us to pursue God and be instruments of your grace because we have freely received. So let us freely give in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Before you go today,
I want to remind you that we have our prayer team that's available at the end of every service. And they'll be up here at the front in the corners of the building and in this room. And also, if you came to this place today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if today is perhaps the day of your salvation, maybe when you were hearing me talk about the gospel and about that forgiveness, you're like, yeah, you know what, I need that. We would love to talk to you. We would love to be able to encourage you and to be able to help you on that journey. And we'd love to just be able to pray with you and pray for you. So if that's you, would you let us know that today? If you're online, would you shoot us an email or reach out to someone in the chat room and let them know that today? If you need prayer for anything, we're here for you. We pray every Thursday morning at 8.30 here in the building, and we have a group of people that shows up for that as well as we stream it online on Facebook, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. And we also pray as a staff every Monday over the various requests that come in. So you can email us or you can fill out a prayer card. We want you to know, church, that we want to go to God together on your behalf and pray for whatever God may be dealing with you on. We want to continue to connect and get involved and get plugged in, so I want to remind you before you go that we have our Next Steps class happening here in just a few minutes, and you'll see that out in the lobby. There's a big sign, and you can go learn more about who we are as a church and what uh, if God is calling you here, and perhaps uh, you have some questions about our church, how we're organized and what we believe and things that are important to us, and we believe that would be a great uh, thing for you to do. You can go over to the Next Steps area. We do that every single week. And so maybe that would be a great thing for you to do as well. Before you go, number 6 and 24 says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless you, BCC. Don't forget to hug Pastor Josh and Jill and let them know you love them. Have a great week. You are dismissed.